0: Bibles this evening, turn them with me to Psalm 8, if you would, and I do want to thank Pastor very much for the opportunity to stand here and preach tonight, although I honestly don't, uh, uh, I I tell you what, I really enjoy, where's Brother Gary, I really enjoyed the service tonight, sitting right down there, and I really thought you did a good job, and um, I really think we ought to share some of the work around here, Pastor, and uh, I I could learn to like that seat on Sunday evening, Gary, I'll tell you. But I do praise, I thank Brother Gary tonight for stepping up here and, and singing for me. With a with throat like I have right now, it, your, your vocal cord gets stretched after a little while and you have no, no strength at all. So I thank him for filling in tonight. It's a real blessing. And uh, thank everyone for coming out. And uh, it's nice to preach to people and not pews. That's really nice, so I'm looking forward to that. All right, let's stand together, please. As if you would, we're going to read from Psalm 8. I'll begin reading at verse number 1. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest steal the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of Thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is Thy name in all the earth. Let's pray. Our Father. We thank you for this time that we have tonight to gather around your word. We thank you for the time of praise and worship we could share in singing unto thee. And we pray now that your Holy Spirit would quiet us and still us. We pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us truth from thy word. And we pray that tonight we would be challenged and stirred to remember who we are and what we are doing and how important our love for you is tonight. Thank you for this time together. We ask you that you would bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The words of Psalm 8 are very familiar to many Christians. Uh, we, we actually, in our school, we have children memorize many of these verses. Uh, preachers preach from these verses often. Yet I, I fear that most of the time they don't really understand what Psalm 8 is talking about. I've heard so many messages on Psalm 8, and it always focuses on man. The truth of the matter is, Psalm 8 is all about Christ. In this psalm, David is asking the Lord a question, O oh Lord, what am I that you, would, that you would even pay any attention to me? Uh, and, and, and why, Lord, am I, uh, was I worth Christ coming to this earth and, and, Lord, becoming a little lower than the angels for just a little while and suffering the way he suffered and enduring all that he endured. Who am I, Lord, who am I that you would do all of that? That's what David is asking here. Oh, I hear messages all the time about how God has made us... Uh, oh put us, uh, everything on earth, under our feet. That's not what this psalm is talking about. You see, our our people have developed a man-centered religion today. And it's not about you. And it's not about me. It's all about God. In in verse 4 of Psalm 8, David said, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Now, there are three Hebrew words that translate man, and each one must be considered when interpreting Scripture. The first word is the Hebrew word "adam," and it, it means mankind collectively. It's talking about the universal race of man, all of mankind collectively. Then there's a, sep- a second Hebrew word, which occasionally appears in the Bible translated man, and that is the word "onash." And that means to be frail, feeble, or desperately wicked, incurable, sick, and woeful. And there is a third Hebrew word which translates man, and that is the word enoshe, which means mortal, singly or nationally, but not universally. Now, the latter form, enoshe, is the Hebrew word used in the first clause of this passage. Here, David is not referring to mankind universally, Rather, he is referring to man specifically, those called out by the Lord, the elect saints of God. In other words, he is stating, what am I that you would love me individually? What am I that you would care about me? Why do you love a sinner like me? Why do you concern yourself with my well-being why have you chosen me? That's the, that's the call of David here when he says, uh, What is man that thou art mindful of him? What is, what is enoshie What am I as an individual? Why, Lord, why did you choose me? Why did you call me? Considering your great, the greatness of your work. And of course, the answer is for his own glory and for his own pleasure. God has chosen me. Apart from any merit in me, or any foreknowledge of my decision to believe in him, it is by his sovereign will and grace that I am chosen, and that he has chosen to be mindful of me. And that word mindful in the Hebrew language literally means to mark or to recognize. David understands that he has been marked, singled out by God, He has specifically been given grace for time and eternity. Now, this is not to be misunderstood as God being mindful of mankind universally. Rather, it is God being mindful of man individually. This fact is evident by the following clause found in verse 4, where it states, and the Son of Man, that thou visitest Him. Now, in the second clause, the Hebrew word used for man was the first term that we saw, the, the, the word Adam, which means mankind universally. This usage here points to the humanity of Christ. It, it confirms that Christ took upon himself the sin of man, yet without possessing the sinful nature passed on to us through Adam. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 21, we read, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And we see from from this passage of Scripture that that the Lord Jesus Christ himself, uh, for a moment in time, took on the sinful stature of man without possessing the sinful nature of man. And David is awestruck at this. He's he's amazed at the fact that God would do that for him. And I'm amazed today that God would do that for me. The visitation spoken of by David is not simply stated as God visiting upon Christ the wrath due to you and me. But it further states the blessings of grace and mercy freely bestowed upon Jesus Christ, our Lord, on behalf of all the elect saints of God. So from this tonight, we can determine that David is asking God, What am I that you would choose me from among the nations of men and impart unto me your grace given through, the, through Jesus Christ, my Lord? And this is a question that we must ask ourselves tonight. What am I? Now turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This was by way of introduction. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. And I'm actually going to take my text verse tonight from this passage of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. We read here, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Everyone read that with me together. Everyone found it? Has everyone found that? If not, I think it's going to project on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. Let's all read that together. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's a beautiful statement, isn't it? You are what you are tonight, and I am what I am tonight. Because of my great intellect. Isn't that wonderful? I am what I am because because I had the good sense to believe in Jesus Christ. No. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. Listen, there was a purpose that God bestowed his grace upon me. It was not. It was not for no reason at all. Paul states, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Over the years, I've been asked this question. What is life all about? People come up to me and say, what is this life all about? Why am I here? Now tonight, science would have us believe that we are the result of random events. They state that there was no intelligent design involved in the creation or existence of our universe our planet, our human life. They deny the existence of God, and they deny the authority of Holy Scripture. They teach that there is no absolute right or wrong. They teach that all is relevant. Well, I have two things to say to that tonight. First one is found in Psalm 14 and verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. Listen, when someone, I don't care if he has ten acronyms following his name. I don't care if he's got a string of initials that go to tomorrow. He can have four doctorates if he wants. If he says there's no God, the Bible says he is a fool. And his day is coming when he will be required to stand before that God and he will bow, bend his knee, and he will confess Jesus as Lord. Well, the second thing I have to say about that is found in Romans chapter 1, verses 20 through 25, where we read, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew not God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart Was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four footed beasts and creeping things. Oh, I have something to say about that to Mr. Scientist tonight who denies the existence of God, and that is, you are a fool. And my dear friends, if any of us sit here tonight and doubt the existence of God, then we too. Are foolish men. We are fools in the sight of God. So each of us here tonight must choose what we believe, that we are the result of random chance or that we are the creation of God. So what am I? Allow me to share just a few minutes with you this evening and share a couple of thoughts with you. And, and this is nothing new for certain. It's just, I just want to remind us tonight of who we are. What am I? Number one, I am a child of the king. I am a child of the king. In Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 16, we read, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Tonight, you and I, if we are born again, are members of the royal family. Isn't that cool? That's so cool, isn't it? I'm royalty. That's right. I'm royalty. And so are you. Wow. We're like Chelsea Clinton. I mean, we're, we're children of the king. And you know, we laugh, but we are. I'm a child of the king. God sits on his throne right now. He's he's observing all of mankind on this earth. And we are in his care and protection. We are a child of the king tonight. That's a great truth. Romans chapter 8 and verse 17 tells us, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Did you see that? We are heirs with Christ, and we fight on earth for little piddling things. We stab each other in the back, tell lies about each other, slit each other's throats so we can gain a little bit more stature, a little bit more position, have a little bit more, and we're joint heirs with Christ. All the wealth of God is ours. All the glory of the Lord will be shared. All of Jesus' glory he will share with us. I am a child of the King tonight. But how can this be? How is it possible that you and I are a part of the family of God? Well, I guess it really all depends on who you talk to as to how you got there. But let me share with you what the Bible says. How is it possible First, by the will of God. By the will of God. In John chapter 1, verses 10 through 13, we read, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. How did we become children of the King? By the will of God. Yes, I am a child of the King tonight. Not by natural birth. Not by my own free will. And not by the will or the work of any person on this earth. I am a child of the king tonight by the sovereign will of the one true, holy, righteous God. Consider the truth of his word. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, we read, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which hath not obtained mercy, uh, but now have obtained mercy. And we are the children of God tonight by the, by the will of God. It is by the will of God that we are adopted into His family. Galatians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, we read Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them, them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of. Of sons, And tonight you and I have been adopted into the family of God by the sovereign will of God through the grace that he bestowed upon us through his son, Jesus Christ. I am a child of the king tonight by the will of God. But then secondly tonight, I am a child of the king by the works of Christ. Not only by the will of God, but by the works of Christ. In Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, we read, But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Now, it is important to understand uh, that sin must be paid for by a sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22 tells us, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Sin must be paid for by sacrifice. And I am sure that we all understand that a sacrifice denotes a work. However, it is not our works that satisfy the debt of sin. It is the work of Christ that satisfies sin. In order for Jesus to qualify as the sacrificial lamb of God, he must first meet specific requirements. Not any lamb will do. The Passover lamb had to be a special lamb. Not just any lamb from the flock would do. And there are some very specific things that Jesus met in his life. Uh, let's, let me share those with you first. His virgin birth. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, we read, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost and she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us. Listen folks, our salvation hinges on this truth. For if Jesus had an earthly father, he would have been born with the nature of Adam and would have been under the same condemnation that we are under. Oh, yes. His birth had to be special. It had to be a virgin birth. I don't think any of us here tonight meet that that qualification. I don't think any of us had a virgin birth. But Jesus did. And that made him eligible as God's sacrificial lamb. But there was something else about Jesus that made him eligible to be our sacrifice, and that was, secondly, his sinless life. In Hebrews chapter 4, and verse 15, we read, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Now, I, I want to set one thing straight here. This is not to suppose... Uh, that Jesus was ever tempted to do wrong. When, When the Bible talks about Jesus being tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin, the Bible is not referring to or alluding to the fact that Jesus was ever tempted to do something wrong. It is not in his nature to sin. It is not in his nature to be tempted with sin. In James chapter 1 and verse 13... We read, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Yet many are the times I have heard preachers, even Baptist preachers, say that Jesus had to overcome temptation just as we do. It is exactly this type of teaching that leads men to make movies such as The Last Temptation of Christ, or The Passion of Christ, movies in which our Lord is portrayed as battling with, 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 with being tempted to do wrong, and our loving Lord and Savior was never tempted to do wrong, even for one brief second. Consider uh, the commentary of John Gill. He writes, He was tempted by Satan at his entrance on his public ministry and a little before his death which was done not by stirring up sin in him, for he had none, nor by putting any into him, which could not be done, nor could Satan get any advantage over him. He solicited him one thing and another, but in vain. Though these temptations were very troublesome and disagreeable and abhorrent to the pure and holy nature of Christ, and so must be reckoned among his sufferings are things by which he suffered, And as afflictions are sometimes called temptations, in this sense also Christ suffered, being tempted with outward poverty and meanness, with slight and neglect from his own relations, and with a general contempt and reproach among men. He was often tempted by the Jews with ensnaring questions. He was deserted by his followers, by his own disciples, yea, even by his God and Father, all which were great trials to him and must be accounted as sufferings. And he also endured great pains of body and anguish of mind, and at last, death itself. But I love what John Gill states, and that is that sin could never enter into our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we can see that the works of Christ were harmonious in producing our salvation. Without his virgin birth, and his sinless life, and his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection, we would have no salvation. What am I? I am a child of the king tonight. I am a child of the king by the will of God and by the works of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. But secondly tonight, what am I? I'd like to state that I am a citizen of the kingdom Not only am I a child of the king by his will and by his works, but I'm a citizen of the kingdom tonight. In John chapter 14, we read from verses 1 through 4. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Now to the limited and, and the finite mind of man, you and I are bound to this earth. However, to the infinite mind of God, you and I tonight are already in His presence in heaven. Herein is a wonderful truth. In Ephesians chapter, four verses, uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, we read, But God, who is rich in His mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places, In Christ Jesus. Brother Echno spoke about this at the men's retreat. Notice it doesn't say that he makes us soon sit in heavenly places, but we are already sitting in heavenly places. We are already in the presence of God. And this we can state because of the certainty of our redemption. God knew us and chose us in eternity past. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, we read, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Listen, God is not bound by time. And God, to God, time is... Is, is irrelevant to us everything happens by time but we are are already in the presence of god god dwells in us and lives through us and we are ever in his presence our finite minds cannot see this but paul said now we see through a glass darkly but then face to face And one day we'll all see the the face of our Lord, but folks, the face of our Lord is already here. He's with us now. He's with us at every moment of every day, every thought we have, every word we speak, everything we do, we do in the presence of God, our Father. Oh, I'm a citizen of the kingdom. Now, I love that song, This world is not my home, I'm just a-passing-through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's golden shore, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Listen, I'm an ambassador for Christ. The Bible even says as much. I have a a citizenship in heaven, and this certainly gives me the assurance of, of citizenship in heaven. Now, as I close tonight, allow me to share a few thoughts with you concerning our citizenship in heaven. First, let me say this. Citizenship grants privilege. Citizenship grants privilege. As citizens of the United States, we have privileges, don't we? We have rights and liberties. They're getting fewer by the day, but we have them. And citizenship grants privilege. Now, I hope Jos doesn't mind me picking on him for a moment. Do you mind, Jos? Good, thank you. I was going to do it anyway. But you're not a citizen of the United States, right? So you don't share all the privileges that I do, like paying taxes and all those great privileges. Yeah, I know you pay taxes. But as a citizen of the United States, certain privileges are afforded to me that that Jost doesn't have. He doesn't have all of those privileges. And folks, as citizens of heaven, you and I are afforded privileges that lost people are not afforded. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. In verse 13 of that same chapter, for brethren ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. We have been given liberty or freedom under grace. We are not bound by the law. Romans chapter 6, verse 14 tells us, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. And we have been given the great privilege of deliverance from sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse 13, we read, There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted, above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. We can take comfort in knowing that God knows how and when to deliver his people from affliction. And we have the great privilege of knowing that even in temptation, God will deliver us from sin and will not allow it to consume us. Now that is not to say that we won't face much tribulation. I remember when my children were young, we We watched uh, one of these Disney movies with him, Aladdin, I believe it was. And and one of these movies, the the genie said, you know, you can't wish for me to kill someone, but he said, you'd be amazed at what you can survive. And uh, you know, folks, God didn't design tribulation to consume us, but you'll be amazed what you can survive, amen? And we are going to face some hard times and some troubles, no doubt about it. But we have the great... Comfort of knowing that through it all, God will deliver us in the end. We will be victorious. We will stand in the presence of the king. And we can have comfort in this. So citizenship grants privilege. Then let me remind you, secondly, privilege assumes responsibility. Privilege assumes responsibility. Now, I have some privileges that Joseph doesn't have as an American citizen, (laughs) but I also have some responsibilities as an American citizen that Joseph doesn't have. And the same is true in in our Christian life. We have privileges that the lost man does not have, but we also have responsibility that the lost man doesn't have. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable Service. Now, my Father raised me to understand that with privilege comes responsibility. And certainly this is indeed a biblical principle. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 48, we read, For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. Our citizenship has set us free and has given us great privilege. However, all of this has bound us unto a greater responsibility. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and verse 19, we read, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. Oh, we must be careful tonight, lest we follow the spirit of Cain. You might remember Cain asked the Lord a question. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, I believe the Bible teaches that we are. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2 we read, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We have the responsibility tonight to live as children of the King. We have a responsibility to love one another. We have a responsibility to bear one another's burdens to esteem each other better than ourselves, We have a responsibility tonight to preach the gospel. We have a responsibility tonight to be honest, hardworking people on the job. We have a responsibility tonight to to bear a good testimony before uh, our, our, our neighbors and friends. We have a responsibility tonight to teach our children the truth of the Word of God and to train them up in the way that they should go. We have responsibilities tonight as children of the King. You know, children of the king are under much more scrutiny, aren't they? You know, being, being a leader in the church for so many years, I never had to worry about what my children were doing. Never had to worry about it. Because there was always a church member pastor who was more than happy to tell me what my kids were up to. I never had to worry about what my kids were doing. Because there was always someone who said, Do you know what your kids are doing? No, but I'm sure you'll tell me. <laughs> and thank you. Praise the Lord. Yeah, I want to hear all the bad things my kids do. You know what? We have responsibility tonight. We have responsibility to tithe to the Lord and through the local church. We have responsibility to labor in the church. We have a responsibility to, uh, you know, my mama taught me if you go to someone's house and they feed you, do the dishes or something. Do something to help out. And you know, we have a good church. We have a lot of people that help. But you know, we still have some things around here that need to be done. And if you don't believe that, just go to the pastor and say, Pastor, is there anything I can do around here for you? I'm sure he'll find something for you to do. We have responsibilities. We have responsibility to live as children of the king. In First Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 12, Paul writes, That ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom, and glory. As citizens of the kingdom, let us live a life that's worthy of the king. Citizenship grants privilege. Privilege assumes responsibility. And then thirdly, responsibility demands accountability. Responsibility demands accountability. Turn with me quickly in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. And, and this will be the last scripture we'll turn to. I almost said we'll be done, but I'd be lying to you. I don't want to lie. 1 Peter chapter 5. <clears throat> and we'll read the first of five verses. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. The elders which are among you, I exhort, who, also, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Now, verse five. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Now, I know that everyone here tonight understands accountability because Uh, Though we may not always like it, we are always accountable to someone. On the job, you're accountable to your supervisor. In the home, you're accountable to one another. And we're always accountable to someone. So I know we all understand the concept of accountability. And this is exactly what Peter is telling us here. He said in verse 5, "'Likewise ye younger submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you be subject one to another.'" As citizens, we are accountable to the laws of our governments. Without this, we would live in anarchy. And so it is in our Christian life as well. We are all accountable for our actions. Now, who are we accountable to? Well, first tonight, let me say this. We're accountable to God. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 12, we read, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. The scriptures tell us, be sure your sin will find you out. Whether in this life or when you stand before the Lord, we are all accountable to God tonight. But not only are we accountable to God, secondly, we are accountable to the church. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is Im- unprofitable um, for you. Many of the times I have heard people say, well, no church or pastor is going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And you know what? That is your privilege. But if you do, let me just remind you that you are rejecting the responsibility that goes with privilege. And you are failing in the accountability that accompanies responsibility. When we accept accountability and subject ourselves to another, we take away one of the devil's wiles to use against us. You see, the devil tries to separate us. He tries to to drive a wedge between us. Why? Why? Well, Solomon in his wisdom in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 wrote this in verses 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord, is not quickly broken. Listen, I I have made myself accountable to men in this church. I have have told the pastor, anytime he observes me doing anything that I shouldn't be doing, I want him to come to me and tell me. I make myself accountable to him. And there are other men in the church that that I have placed myself uh, accountable to. And there are men that have come to me and said, Brother Abshar, would would you hold me accountable? There have been men that have come to me and said, I I made a commitment to God to do a certain thing. And and would you hold me accountable? And every time I see them, I go up to them and say, hey, are you doing that thing you said you would do? Or they'll say, yeah, I'm still doing it. Listen, we need to be accountable to one another. In, In the high school, I told the kids a while back, get yourself a prayer buddy. Get yourself a prayer buddy and, 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 and do this. You and your, and your prayer partner or your prayer buddy make, hold each other accountable to make sure that you're praying every day. Go to your friend and say, did you pray today? And have them ask you the same thing. You know what? Men in our church, we can't afford to fall. Our wives and our children are depending on us. And we need to hold each other accountable. You know, you know we, need to, we need to step right up to the plate and say, hey, brother, are you tithing? Because I tell you what, things aren't looking too good here. Somebody's not tithing. Now, I, might have stepped, I might have shook a tree I shouldn't have shook, so, so don't you shake that tree, okay? But I already shook it, so we're not going to worry about it. We've got to hold each other accountable. And that's the whole thing. Responsibility demands accountability. Accountability. And you know, that's what's wrong with America today. No one wants accountability for anything. America, Americans want to blame everything on somebody and something else. They don't want to take any responsibility themselves. And it's high time that we as God's people accept the responsibility and the accountability that goes along with it. Listen, I need you tonight. And whether you want to admit it or not, you need me too. Together we can accomplish all that God has for us to do in this place. What are we tonight? We're children of the King by the will of God and by the work of Christ. What are we tonight? We are citizens of the kingdom. Citizenship grants privilege. Privilege assumes responsibility. Responsibility demands accountability. So what will we do with this? Joshua in chapter 24 of the book of, of the book of Joshua verses 14 and 15 wrote this Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord And if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord choose you this day whom ye will serve whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose you tonight. Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve God or self? God or flesh? God or money? Choose you who you're going to serve. And if God be God, then let's serve the Lord. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for this time. And Lord, I, I hope, Lord, that everything I said was understood. You are a great, a mighty, and a holy God. Lord, you, you, we are your child tonight by your will and by the work of your son Jesus. We are your children tonight. Let us, I pray we would walk worthy of that name. And then, Lord, we're citizens of heaven tonight. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. And Lord, that citizenship grants us great privilege. But that great privilege requires much responsibility and the responsibility demands accountability. Help us, Lord, to to, to stand together, united as children of the kingdom. Help us to hold one another accountable. Help us to assume our responsibilities. Strengthen us tonight, we pray, in your Holy Spirit. As we take this time now to reflect upon you and your greatness, as David said, when I consider the heavens and the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what am I, Lord? What am I that you love me? Be with us tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.